We're going to launch into a sermon series here, just a mini, mini series throughout the month of December <clears throat> on what's in a name. And I just love how the songs have really been kind of highlighting that for us today. You know, the story of, of Christmas and the promises that are given as you read the narrative in Matthew and also in Luke, um, and you pull things from the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets and stuff, you really start to catch this picture that, I mean, obviously, you know the beautiful name of Jesus, right? Did you know that Jesus has a meaning? That Jesus means Yahweh saves, yeah? God saves. That's why when the angel is telling that you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the explanation given in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He's a savior. He's a savior. And so we, we know that name that's familiar to us. <clears throat> but uh, throughout the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at different names, different names. And, you know, maybe, maybe you remember. Do you, do you know what your name means? Do you know what your name means? Yeah. I'm curious, what is, what is James, Jim, what, what is? Well, the root in the Bible is Jacob. Oh, and, okay. Um, how it morphed into James through multiple languages and all that, it happened. Yeah. It became the Amos and Greek. Gotcha. Uh, it means supplanter or one who takes the place of a heel grabber. Right, There's right. There's different ways to, to uh, you know. Yeah. Break that down. Okay, I gotcha. Let's think of one that's a little more positive. No. <laughs> Daniel, right? Daniel. What does Daniel mean? The Lord is my judge. The Lord is my judge. I do know what Godfrey Do you know what Godfrey means? I saw it. Oh, yeah? <laughs> what did you see? Because. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Peace of God. God's peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David. That's right. David. What does David mean? Beloved. Beloved. Awesome. Awesome. Jaden, the way we spell Jaden is related to the Hebrew word yada, which means give thanks. He was born around Thanksgiving. And so his word uh, or his name means thankful. Thankful. Yeah. So, you know, when, what, what's in a name for you? Maybe you remember when you were choosing the names of your kids and stuff. I mean, when, when Debbie and I were tasked with this for the very first time, uh, it took us actually until the very day that, um, you know, social services was asking for a deadline. You know, the, they're asking for us to fill this thing out. And we, we had no idea what we were trying to do. We were trying to make Jenna um, like the namesake for everybody in our family. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so we pulled a little bit from Debbie's side of the family, we pulled a little bit from my side of the family and all these kinds of things. And then we landed on, on Jenna, G-E-N-N-A, because somewhere along the line, and I still actually I can't find it today, but somewhere on the internet back then in 2010, we found that Jenna has some connection to endurance. And so, you know, that, that was something that we valued. We wanted that for her. And really, when we choose names for children, you know, oftentimes it's, um, it's kind of the destiny that we hope for them. It's kind of the character or their, the character of their experience that we hope for them. Um, and really, it's more telling about the kinds of things we value, <laughs> the kinds of character and experience that we feel is important. But as we prepare for the Advent season, <clears throat> we're going to dwell on the names that others, not just the angels, but that others gave to the babe of Bethlehem. Okay, some of these might be a little bit obscure, uh, obscure I should say. Um, actually, we sang about them just a few moments ago, and so maybe you'll catch that. But today, um, we're going to go to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we're going to start in verse 67. 
So Luke chapter 1, verse 67, because I believe there is a story told, a gospel story told, in the names given by the others. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. If you found it, go ahead and say, I found it. And you know what? Before we even begin to read, let's just bow our heads for a prayer. Father in heaven, we're asking right now that you would minister to our hearts through your word, not just the spoken word, but through this word that we're holding, that we're giving attention to. Lord, we want to behold Jesus. We want to behold your face. And we want to be attentive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as you guide us into all truth. And so please speak to us. Reveal to us the beauty of your name and of your character. In Jesus' saving and precious name, let everyone say, Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at uh, this prophecy, this prophetic praise of a man named Zacharias. All right, Zacharias, um, <clears throat> he's someone that is introduced to us in the, this very first chapter of Luke, actually even before Jesus and even before his parents. And the, just a little bit of backstory, if you look up uh, maybe further on your page in verse 59, this was uh, the eighth day since a, a child was born to this couple, Zacharias. And does anybody remember um, Zacharias' wife's name? Elizabeth, right? So the eighth day later, uh, they're bringing this child, presenting this child according to Jewish custom and, and ritual. They're bringing this child to the temple to be presented there, <clears throat> dedicated there. And then in verse 60, I'm sorry, verse 59, it says, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But verse 60, his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called what? John. But they said to her, "Uh, There's no one by that name in your family, right? Well, what's the whole point of that? There's no namesake. There's no meaning there for you personally. Verse 62 So they made signs to his father what he would have him call. Do you remember what was going on in Zacharias' life? Why were they making signs to him? He couldn't. You know, that's actually very puzzling to me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so his tongue was stopped, but his ears were not. But apparently they felt the need to, to go through sign language. Anyways, maybe because he was giving signs back and forth and stuff. So they made signs to his father, what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. And immediately his mouth was opened. All right, so here's Zacharias. He's mute for the past nine months plus, all right? He cannot speak. Why? According to chapter one, verse, uh, let's see here. Let's go back to where, where this actually happens. It's in verse 13 that an angel is having a conversation with Zacharias. Zacharias is in the temple. He's serving his monthly role as the intercessor in the holy place. He's, he's burning incense and lifting up prayers for the people of God. And an angel stands next to him. And he's troubled by this. He's surprised by this. Now, you know, <clears throat> I don't know how cool this is to you guys, but there's a real angel who really has a real conversation with Zacharias. I mean, that's, that's pretty special. I mean, we read about it. We know that this is part of the story. But think about that. How would you respond in your 
round of ministry duties, let's say you're setting up for Sabbath school, and then all of a sudden, there's an angel that wants to talk to you. (laughs) Right? There's an angel that has a message for you. And what was this angel's message? According to verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. What? For your prayer is heard. Now, Zacharias, he is praying on behalf of the nation of Israel, in the capital of Israel, in the temple of Jerusalem. But what specific prayer is heard? What prayer is heard on Zacharias' behalf? It says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. He's giving this message and saying, hey, God has heard your prayers, not just your your general prayers for the masses of people, but your personal prayers, your personal wants and desires, desires decades old. God has heard those. And this is really beautiful to me. The name that is given by this angel, you shall call his name John. Actually, when you start looking up, you know, the connections there, it's it's related to the Hebrew name Yohanan, which means Yahweh is gracious. (laughs) And so there's this assurance that this angel wants to give to this couple that God is gracious to you. That God hasn't forgotten your prayers that are decades old. That God is not not neglectful of you. In fact, the name Zacharias means Yahweh remembers. Okay, so God, I mean, you're just putting all these things together and these messages that God is communicating to this couple and also the people of God, but particularly to this couple. And I just want to pause to note this, that this, you know, this is an awesome reality that angels actually want to visit us. That there are hosts of heavenly angels. I mean, the Bible says thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 and things like this. There are numerous, innumerable angels who actually, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent to bless those who are inheriting salvation? In other words, all heaven is on your side. And for someone like Zacharias or someone like Elizabeth who has been praying a prayer for their, themselves all their lives, though they have lived dutifully, though they have lived obediently, though they have filled every office of the church and they've done so with excellence, their prayer has not been heard until now. God remembers. And God is gracious. And there are angels who can't wait to tell you that. <laughs> There are angels who can't... I mean, I was just reading uh, a a book called Early Writings, and there is a very few paragraphs there on page 39 where Ellen White has this picture of an angel with each individual, each precious soul. And when they're when they're feeling tempted or tried or when they're, they're tearing up and they're crying, these angels, they, they take notice and then they swiftly fly back to the, the heavenly courts and they report what they see. They report this trouble. They report the trial. They report the tears. And then all of heaven, they, they, there's a silence there. 
there's a silence and they hear this report and, and, and God sits upon his throne and he sends another angel to go bless them, to go cheer them up. And, and, and all of heaven, they're sitting in silence until they hear back this word of encouragement that the angel that was sent down now comes back up. And when, when this uh, tried and troubled soul makes a choice for right, or when this tried or troubled soul makes a choice to believe and to have hope, then all the angels strike their golden harps and they sing for joy. They sing hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, this is not the sermon. Sorry. This is just something I was reading last night. I just, this was so beautiful to me. And I don't know, I don't know if your eyes are open to this. But are they not all ministering spirits sent to those who are inheriting salvation? I tell you what, you may feel all alone and that your prayers are not heard, but God is gracious, God remembers, and heaven is on your side. Ah. Okay, so back to the sermon. Um, So here we are in Luke chapter 1, and Zacharias is mute. Right? We, we remember that. Zacharias is mute. He cannot speak. And it's because he's not believing. It's because he hasn't believed this report from heaven that our, his prayers have been heard. Uh, but, but he, in, in chapter 1, verse 62, when, when they're making signs, and then in verse 63, he actually confirms it. His name is John. His name is God is gracious. They all marveled. And in verse 64, the Bible says, immediately his mouth was opened. Why? Because he finally grasped by faith. Yes, indeed. My God remembers me. Yes, indeed. My God is gracious. And when he grasped that by faith, his mouth was loosed. The very sign of his unbelief now was turned around. Right? Are we following that? And the very first thing that comes out of his mind, or his mouth, I should say, is praise to God. It's not complaint like, whoa, man, that was a terrible experience. I can't believe that happened. You know, he, he's praising God. And so now let's turn to this, this prophetic, prophecy, uh, this praise of prophecy. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So Debbie wanted to catch the sermon too. And so we're just going to put her right there. <laughs> Can you see it? Uh, you're probably just going to see all like sun and stuff. Anyways, okay, sorry. <laughs> we'll delete that from the recording. Anyways, so are you guys ready? Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. <clears throat> verse 67, here's the prophecy. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Man, again, this, these are the first words coming out of Zacharias' mouth for the last nine months. And man, I don't know what you remember saying in the first hours, let alone the first week of your firstborn coming into existence. But I think I would be surprised if my very first words even made sense. Like, I don't even know if I spoke in complete sentences. I think I was just, ah, 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 you know. And here's Zacharias And his mouth opens wide, not with just some emotional, mushy, gushy talk. His mouth opens wide with theologically rich prophecy here. The Bible says that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this wave of emotions, he is filled with God's Spirit to give light and, and, and prophetic insight. Not just, you know, sometimes we think of prophecy as for 
foretelling something, predicting something in advance. But really, prophecy is more often than not forthtelling. In other words, speaking for God, revealing the mind of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. And this heavenly message of Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79, this prophecy here, is something so deep. And I want us to hear this. Because the heavenly message that Zacharias declares is spoken as heartfelt praise to the Lord. This birth that has happened is not just some normal everyday experience. This is actually a moment in salvation history. And so he's praising God. <clears throat> the keynote of this prophecy there is, is right off the bat in verse 68. The Bible says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For what reason? For he has visited and redeemed his people. Now just slow down and, and let, let that sink in. We're, we haven't gotten to the name yet. The name that Zacharias is going to prophesy about Jesus. But we know that the keynote here is, he has visited and redeemed his people. Do you like getting visits? Do you like getting visits? You know, like when, you're, when our neighbor friends come over to play and stuff, it's really nice. The kids feel special and stuff, but... I think there are times where visits mean a lot more. And those are times when usually you're in a sense of need, right? When maybe you're sick or you're discouraged or, you know, you're, you're at a particular sense of need. And that visit, that visitation, just, wow, the fact that they would give personal attention, that's really meaningful, yeah? But here, it's God doing the visiting. It's God doing the visiting. And it's, you know, literally, this word visit means, yeah, to literally go to, to physically go to and look upon someone. But throughout the Hebrew scriptures, especially, this is actually an idiom that, that signifies so much more. Um, you think back to Exodus chapter 4. Here we have this on the screen. Uh oh, maybe we don't. Oh, okay, we'll just keep that up. <laughs> In Exodus chapter 4, at the end of uh, Exodus chapter 4, you find out that uh, the children of Israel, they hear from Moses and Aaron that God has plans to save them, right? They're in bondage. They've been in bondage for 400 plus years. And then the Bible says in Exodus 4, verse 31. Okay, let's just go there. Exodus 4, verse 31. This is a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture where this reality just kind of sets into their hearts that they have not been forgotten, that God is gracious, <clears throat> All right, so this is Exodus chapter 4, the second book of the Bible, fourth chapter, the very end, in verse 31, it says, the, So the people believed. They believed what, what Moses and Aaron had just shared with them about God's intentions. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had, what's the next word in your Bible? Had visited the children of Israel. What, what, that, what does that mean? That, like Mr. Rogers, he just kind of came to their door, hey, neighbor, no. He's looking upon them. He hasn't forgotten. He is there, present, even though they're still slaves. Even though they're still in their mess, they know it's not he will visit. He has visited, right? He has visited the children of Israel. And then he looked on their affliction when they bowed. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped. So when Zacharias is praising He's saying, the Lord has visited his people and redeemed. Do you hear what he's calling to mind? Like, we've been enslaved here without hope. I love how, I think it's uh, O Holy Night, there's a phrase here, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Right? 
till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The Lord has visited his people, has redeemed his people, set them free. And I love the fact that, that, that Zacharias is just in awe of all this. The awesome reality of divine attention, divine arrival. It shifts the picture of the human existence from one of lonely distance from God and, and, and bondage to sin to a picture of intimate visitation, intimate presence and deliverance from sin. Zacharias here in Luke chapter 1, you can go back there. He's filled with a sense of awe over this visitation. He calls it redemption. He calls it salvation in 69. But he's in awe of this because he sees it as a fulfillment of prophetic promises. In verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. In other words, there were people who spoke about this long ago. And we thought it was long lost, but now it's here, right? In verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant. So these, this is a fulfillment of prophetic promises, of covenant assurances, and this is a total 180, right? Total, polar opposite of the last thing we heard from Zacharias' mouth. Right? The last thing you heard from Zacharias' mouth. Do you remember what it was in Luke chapter 1? We didn't quite read it there, but you can see it. Luke chapter 1, verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? Do you hear what's coming out of his mouth in chapter 1, verse 18? It's unbelief. It's, are you sure about that? <laughs> it's all those prophetic promises of long ago. They weren't good for me. But here, in this prophetic praise... It's a total 180 from what last came out of Zacharias' mouth. And it's a word to us, I think. This is a word to us in our seasons of anxious questioning because none of us are immune to those. Right? Even a faithful priest who had... Actually, he came from a lineage of priests, obviously, and, and, and a lineage of faithful, other faithful generations. And so none of us are immune to this. Zacharias was not. But we have our seasons of anxious questioning. And in those seasons of anxious questioning, I tell you, when we're asking, God, will you do this? Or when we're asking, will you provide that? Let God fill your mouth with prophetic praise. Let God fill your mouth with the capacity to speak of the future, the things you don't know, as if they are already accomplished. (laughs) I mean, just, just take a look again at what Zacharias is saying. For he, in verse 68, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Question, had Jesus come yet? Yes or no? It was still future, but he's talking about it as if it's past. As if it's certain. This is so powerful. When you're in a season of, God, will you? How can I know if you're going to? Begin to speak of that future in terms of prophetic past. Let God fill you with faith and courage. Just like Zacharias, when we exercise faith that God remembers, when we exercise faith that God is gracious toward us, yes, his name is John. Yahweh is gracious. We can move from unbelieving anxiety about what God might do to an unwavering certainty about what God has done. I want to shift that way. When you catch yourself in that mode, 
the Christmas story, the miracle birth, all of this is a reminder that there is a covenant-remembering, promise-keeping God who has literally visited us. Man. And now, let's get to the name, okay? In, in this stream of prophetic praise, Zacharias is going to not just talk about his child that is now eight days old, his child that his name is John, his child that is going to be so cool because God promised a future for him. No, he is, he is excited about who is visiting, okay? So get down here. We'll start in verse 76. <clears throat> and you, child, so he's speaking to his own child, John, who would eventually be called John the Baptist. You, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. And this is really not the focal point of his prophecy. <laughs> You'll see where it goes. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. And here's how the New King James says it. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Did you catch the name? The day spring from on high has visited us. Verse 79 kind of rounds it out to give light to those who sit in darkness, the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So let's just zero in on verse 78. There's some really neat things there. Through the tender mercy of our God. I love that phrase, tender mercy. You don't catch that combination very often, but it's a combination of two significant words. Tender is, 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 is kind of connected to the word for compassion. It's really referring to the spleen. The Greek word is, uh, let me see, if, splachnon. Okay, it's, it's really the, the kind of the root from where we get the word spleen. So that we're talking about gut-level emotions, this deep-seated emotion. And combining that compassion, this gut, so God feels this gut for us, this gut feeling toward us, and it's a, it's a tender mercy. That's what the next word is, elios. And that Greek word, actually translate an Old Testament word that is, um, you know, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, over 170 times, it's, it's translating this word chesed from Hebrew. And chesed, I tell you what, this is probably the most beautiful word in the Hebrew scriptures. It means, um, it's translated most often in, in like the New King James as loving kindness. Have you heard that before? Loving kindness. Like what's the difference between love and loving kindness? Well, loving kindness is actually Love that's in reference to a promise. It's not just your nice feelings about somebody, but it's your nice feelings that's tied to your sense of commitment to them that is stronger than death. And really, in the Old Testament scriptures, that loving kindness, that chesed, it only comes from God. He's the only active subject of that verb, that, 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 that action now. Chesed. It's covenant loyalty. And so it's through this tender, this gut level uh, compassion that's motivated by a tie of loyalty and commitment that is stronger than death itself. It's through this that he has, what's the next thing, uh, with which the day spring on high has visited us. Again, when God looks upon to help and care for and provide for us, he's driven not by, okay, I got to go pick up my kid from school. No, no, that's, that's not, he's not driven by obligation or duty. He's driven by deep compassion, promise-keeping mercy. And this idea of day spring, really, it's, uh, it's the word for sunrise. 
It's the word for dawn. Sometimes it's translated as, as literally east, the east, the, pla- the place of the rising sun and things like that. But it comes last in the Greek phrasing of this verse. In verse 78, it says, Through the tender mercy, he has visited us the day spring. That's literally kind of how that works out. I think because of emphasis, it's the day spring, but it also connects it to the very next verse to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The implication is this. What's in this name? If Jesus is the day spring, then before he comes, we don't have day. Right? If Jesus is the dawn, then before he comes, we have the coldest part of the night. I don't know how many of you are big into camping or backpacking, but I tell you what, my feet get the coldest right before sunrise. It always wakes me up. (laughs) I'm thankful for that because then I get to watch the sunrise. But, (laughs) um, But here's the thing. Before the arrival, before the visitation of the day spring, the implication is that before he comes, there is darkness. I've been reading this book called Hidden Christmas. It's the hidden meaning of, or the hidden gospel in the Christmas story. It's by this uh, pastor uh, named Timothy Keller. And he talks about how, you know, Christianity is the most um, unsentimental and realistic religion because it gives us this picture of who we really are. That apart from him, we're like, we, we can't just kind of make ourselves better. Hey, cheer up, chum. We, we can make this world a better place. We can make my heart and my life a better place. No, Christianity says, no, 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 no. It's really dark. And all we, de- we deserve is death. But there is hope. Amen. But there is hope. Something that the Christmas story challenges us is to be real with the fact that apart from Jesus, we've got nothing. And then it invites us to be hopeful, to find hope in Jesus. But now, now because of Jesus' arrival, we have hope that the paths our feet take in life can be lit up, guided into the way of peace, like verse 79 says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Man, that's who Jesus is. He's the day spring. That's who Jesus means to the sin-darkened soul. So what's in a name? What's in this name? Day spring from on high. One, a sobering reminder of what we are and where we're left without Jesus. But then two, a hopeful assurance that the day has dawned. Not that will dawn, but has dawned. That Jesus visits personally, tenderly, faithful to his covenant promises. That Jesus visits to save That Jesus visits to deliver, to give light to our once death-destined paths and lead us to hope and peace. That's his name. So I don't know, maybe you're going to start singing Christmas carols like, uh, I think it was, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And it was the second verse, O come, thou day spring from on high. Start thinking those things and, and realize that, whoa, there's so much more here. So here's the appeal. Here's the take. I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't resonate with Zacharias's story in every aspect. But I do wonder today if there's anyone among us who feels like our prayers haven't been heard. Or if there's anyone among us who, when a heavenly message comes, our first tendency is to kick back with, are you sure about that? 
Our tendency is towards unbelief at the possibility that our prayers could actually have impact. And so here's two appeals um, for those of us in in the Zacharias-sized shoes today. (laughs) Appeal number one is this. As you enter into the Christmas season, would you ask God to open your eyes to the ministry of angels? That's the first appeal. Because truly, there are thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angelic hosts who want to bless and help. I just ask God, please cause my eyes to be... I was just driving down Gilbert Street after having read this and I started seeing people walking. I'm like, wow, there are like angels right there, you know? There, there, there are angels who are, who are counting the tears, who are recognizing the trials and temptations and know the struggle. And they're, they're sending messages back and forth between heaven and earth. And they're saying, Lord, please do something for this. And when we actually choose the right, and they're rejoicing. They're doing cartwheels. They're singing hallelujahs. They're striking their golden harps. How cool is that? So ask God this week for eyes that are open to the ministry of angels that want to inspire your faith, that want to give courage, And then gratefully receive that ministry. Don't resist it. When you sense that heaven is prompting, don't don't resist that ministry. So that's appeal number one. Ask for open eyes and don't resist the ministry of angels. And then here's the second appeal. Hear the good news of these names. God is gracious to you. God has remembered you. And that the day has dawned. He's visiting you personally. The dawning of a new day that Jesus wants to visit you to bring light, hope, direction, instead of distance and darkness. How many of you want that today? Yeah, yeah, me too. Let's pray together. Father, this is our simple desire. Thank you for the message of your name. We just want to hear that name spoken over our lives, transforming our very existence. Like Jesus prayed, sanctify us through your truth. Your word is truth. And if this is the word, that you are the day spring from on high who has visited us, Lord, then transform our present tense in light of your past tense. Thank you, Jesus, for the ministry of angels. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I pray today for any tried and troubled soul. I pray against the tendency to kick back with unbelief. Please, Lord, give us the good sense to not resist your ministry and to respond heartily to the day spring from on high. We pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen.